Hello, welcome to Blades Pod. My name is Ben. It is Monday, the 11th of March. Joining me for this episode is Anthony Adsed, who you may know better as S2Stats on Twitter. Uh, very big statistical analysis enthusiast, uh, puts out a lot of great kind of um, stats, analysis, visuals on his Twitter. You may also know him from an article that was in the Sheffield Star just before the Steel City derby, talking about whether Formbook actually goes out the window or not in these fixtures. But yeah, Anthony joins me to not only break down the 2-0 win over Rotherham this weekend, but also discuss sort of more generally how he got into statistical analysis and some of his general thoughts on United this season. So hope you enjoy it. And uh, yeah, I'm hoping to come back with another podcast later this week, looking at the Brentford and Leeds games as well. So thanks very much as always for listening and downloading. And here it is. So I'm very pleased to say that I have Anthony Adshead, the man behind S2 Stats, which I'm sure you've seen on Twitter plenty of times by now. I've certainly shared it a few times. It's published in the Sheffield Star, no less, in the lead up to the recent Sheffield Derby as well. Uh, yeah, Anthony, how are you doing? Thanks very much for joining me. Yeah, very well. Thanks, Ben. Um, and thanks very much for having me on the on the on the podcast it's a real pleasure and an honor thanks very much oh, that's, you're far too kind so um yeah today we are going to talk about the the Rotherham game this weekend uh and then we're going to come on to a few other things as well because obviously making your blades pod debut uh again thank you very much for for being here and uh yeah i want to get your your take on the season as a whole because uh always interesting to see kind of opinions of um people outside of my immediate family and circle I suppose so um yeah I mean let's get started with the Rotherham game then so Blades obviously won 2-0 this weekend uh yet another clean sheet yet another home win I'm, I'm curious just as a starting point how how you thought we performed uh as a team how would you kind of rate the team performance out of 10 if you uh, if you could do I think it's quite a hard one to judge in terms of that particularly because of the opposition. Um, I mean, it was Rotherham. In a lot of senses, there was a, a golfing class between the two teams going into the game. You know, we can talk about league position. We can talk about goal difference. You know, we could go as far as to talking about, even though United have been built on a relatively relative shoestring, that, you know, there's a vast difference in the types of players they can get in. Um, so in some senses it turned into something like an exhibition game and I mean it literally was I mean I go to the football with my little boy who's 12 and there were chunks of time during the game later on where I I was able to talk to him and say "Uh, look there's Rotherham there go four uh, two banks of four lining up in the penalty area Um, (laughs) You know, there's United. Oh, look, we've got an overload on that side. There's more players of ours on that side than there are of theirs. And we're passing the ball around in those areas. We always do. So that's kind of what the kind of game it turned into. You know, if you're on the training ground at Sheffield United, I mean, this probably happens. They probably get, you know, the under 23s to be a team carrying out a low block Mm. while Duffers and Fleck and... Um, the rest of the boys work their stuff around the corners and try to get the ball into the danger zone. Yeah. Well, it's just with a low block, because I think that one gets... I see that a lot, and I don't actually know how you define that tactically. Could you could you enlighten me and anyone else who's not totally clear on what that is? A low block, simply 
two banks of four pretty much in your own third. Right, uh, okay. The, the big exponents of it, you know, kind of higher up in football in, in England would be the likes of Burnley and people like that, that, you know, teams that know that they don't stand that much of a chance of competing in open play will just simply line up their defences, you know, so it'll be a 4-4 four, four something or a 4-5-1 or something, or, you know, you might even get two banks of five when people are really uh, putting it into practice. Yeah, Sheffield Wednesday, cough. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I, I get, we'll come on to Rotherham's kind of uh, attitude and approach to this game in a little while, but it, just to quickly run through the kind of key events of the game, uh, we went ahead in about the fifth minute, I think it was. It was really, um, I, I managed to finally get a good angle on, on what happened here, but it's gone from a set piece where Connell got free from a... Not a short corner, but a, a low one to kind of uh, about the penalty spot, and he just side footed into the net. I did wonder at the time if he's like how he's managed to get completely unmarked here. And um, one of the clips on United's YouTube channel essentially shows that um, he moves one way and then leads the defender into Duffy, who makes a block on the defender, and he gets free. So kind of a classic United set piece in the last few months, actually. We've managed to, managed to do this quite a lot. Not always uh, to leads to a goal, but I've definitely seen some of these blocks. Obviously, there was the uh, the should have been a penalty on Medine at, at Wednesday that essentially came from the same thing. Um, but yeah, that was that was the first goal. We could probably have been a couple up already at that point. Uh, we had the free kick, which I, I don't know if Hogan actually got a touch to, but it uh, ended up being pushed away by the keeper. And then Bulldog had a shot saved as well. And I, I kind of felt, actually, I think I said this to my brother, that might have been our best five minutes of the season. <laughs> Those first five minutes were just absolutely rampant. Um, then Rotherham had a a bit of a spell, if you can call it that. Some people have told me that's what they thought it was, but uh, I don't know. They had some throw-ins and a few crosses for like 15 minutes. And yeah, I, I didn't think they were up to much in that period. I never felt we were in any danger. And then Will Volks sent off for a straight red of the foul on George Baldock, which... Uh, I think it was, it was pretty unarguable. I mean, I saw Paul Warren said it was a, a strong yellow, which which sounds like manager speak for a red card, to be honest. So, uh, yeah, I didn't seem to be too many complaints about that. Um, you know, I'd had a load more chances in the game. Admittedly, Rotherham kind of restricted us to... Actually, you know, I was going to say Rotherham restricted us to not great chances, but not not exactly the case, actually. We ended up having four big chances in the game, even though we didn't actually score from any of them. But finally got the second goal, uh, again from a corner. This one, a, a short one. Duffy just uh, smashed one in on the volley from 20 yards. And that was that. Rotherham never got near us. It was, as you say, kind of like an exhibition match, kind of reflected in the atmosphere, which, you know, early kickoff as well is, is not never great for these kind of things. Um, Rotherham just, just never got near us. I mean, yeah, is, was there anything... Um, kind of from the, the stats of the game that jumped out of you from a sort of statistical point of view that kind of either was a bit unusual or uh, or just interesting, I suppose? Yeah, there are several, actually. Not necessarily all connected. The first one is just to draw your attention to what to something that I think very, very rarely happens, and that is that we had more shots on target than we had shots off target. Mm. That's strange i've never i don't think i've ever noticed that before in a football match but that's just a random point the other point that i wanted to make was i, I kind of actually slightly disagree about that rotherham spell early on oh go I, on then i um i felt maybe i'm just generally more cautious or you know you know there's this class is half 
full and there's glasses half empty and things like that. And I thought that Rotherham actually, from about the time just after we scored, up until Vokes got sent off, I thought they were doing a very good job on us. I was worrying about the match playing out in a very different way. Mm. Although, so and what it amounted to for me was that they they seemed to cut off the supply to to our, you know, to the the areas we like to go to, kind of you know along the wings and up around the corners around the penalty area. They seemed to cut that off. They really hit us with a lot of pressing. And okay, so there were a lot of balls pinging about, a lot of headers, a lot of a lot of physical stuff going on, a lot of WWE in some cases. But that was that that's that's their game plan. That's what they tried to do, and I think for quite some time it succeeded. And I went and looked at the who scored stats for that chunk of the game, mm. and from the eleventh minute to the twenty eighth, the possession stats were uh, just under forty for us, just over sixty for them. Mm. Their pass success was 68% and ours was 50. Mm, okay. So so for something like a I don't know 15 plus minute spell they 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 executed what looked like their game plan successfully on us. Mm. Then it got completely changed by Vokes getting sent off. After, you know that that tactically changed the game. You know they that's when they went into their two banks of four low block from then on, and it was all over for them in a way. Yeah, undoubtedly. Now I, I don't know whether I just I don't know whether I was uh, just a bit salty from the the kind of time wasting that went on in this game, but I don't know. I just felt it was like the reason we didn't have much possession in that period was because I was basically just watching Will Volks wipe down a football with a towel <laughs> for about 15 minutes and it was yeah. doing my head in. It's just like, oh, great. They've got another throw in. That's 40 seconds out of the game. But yeah, then then there was towel gate, which kind of yeah. turned the game, I suppose. So um, am I right in thinking you sit on the south stand, actually? Yeah. Was, was this just in front of you? Yeah, not far away. Yeah, yeah. Can, can you explain what happened? Because you probably had a slightly better view than I did. Um, well, we be, we kind of became the whole part of that that part of the ground seemed to become aware of the towel at roughly the same time. And it's the towel if, in all capitals. I, if I remember correctly, we'd seen Vokes use it, and then the next thing I noticed was I saw Wilder looking at it <laughs> and starting to talk to people around him about it. And uh, first of all, I think he indicated to a ball boy to deal with it in some way. And I think he unsuccessfully attempted to chuck it over the the advertising thing. And then the rather large security guy came along, (laughs) flung it into the crowd. Uh, He came back out briefly, didn't he? He came back out. (laughs) And then then the security security guard came and dealt with it for what seemed like the final time. And I was joking at the time to my little lad... um, um, about how Vokes was going to get angry about that, and, and then and so it proved. I mean, yeah. probably within five minutes, he just uh, steamed through Baldock after giving the ball away, and off he went. And uh, yeah, it's, it's tempting to draw an obvious conclusion here. Probably not the case, but I do very much like the idea that us confiscating Rotherham's towel led to uh, led to him getting the red card but um yeah i mean just to uh, just to come back and quickly check off some of the stats from the game so it, just complete dominance as a as a whole body of work across the full game 19 shots to 3 uh, Rotherham didn't attempt a single shot after that red card not one shot 
Uh, 11 shots on target to zero. So as you say, 19 of our 11 were on target. Four big chances to zero. Uh, in for goals, XG had us 1.97. So call it two to 0.12. So no, no real surprise there. And uh, yeah, we completed uh, quick maths about four times as many passes as Rotherham as well. 72% possession and uh, yeah, 217 passes in the final third. That's a pretty dominant stat sheet overall. As you say, perhaps, you know, that's to be expected when it's uh, a team down to 10 men down at the bottom of the league. But yeah, very, very dominant. What, one thing I did think was quite weird was, um, yeah, just the fact we didn't actually score from any of our four big chances. So there was the uh, there was two for McGoldrick, which I think came in the same move, actually. It was in the second half where he was, he was played in one-on-one. Uh, keeper saved it. Sort of came back to Hogan. The keeper's like running around his penalty area trying to get near him. Eventually, it goes back to McGoldrick, and I don't really know what he was trying to do here. He kind of scooped it over the bar by about 15 metres, I think, the ball went. It was a very weird finish. I mean, yeah, I guess he was trying to scoop it over a defender on the goal line or something, but yeah, not not a great finish, I don't think. Um, and then there was a, a Stevens header from a Duffy cross, which is great ball, great header, great save, to be fair, from Rodak. And uh, then one right at the end for George Baldock as well, another low cross, which, again, the keeper saved. I mean, it, yeah, it should really have been a lot more, shouldn't it? I think, I, I mean, I don't know. Do you think Rotherham's goalkeeper played well? There was quite a few where he pushed it back into very dangerous areas and was, was pretty fortunate we didn't have a tap-in. But then at the same time, you know, 11 shots on target. We didn't score from our four good chances, although I think we hit the target with, you know, we, uh, hit the target with three out of four of them. Would you say the keeper... The keeper had a good game or a bit of a mixed game? Yeah, he, well, he obviously did make those errors that you pointed out, but I'm actually a bit of a fan of this keeper. Not that, I, not that I've seen him very much, but I did, I did run some, I've run the stats on championship keepers a couple of times and he, and he, he ranks very well. Mm. Um, quite possibly in large part because, well, no, it must be that, I was going to say he gets a lot of practice. Yeah. Um, gets a lot of shots fired at him, but he, I think his it's his shot stopping percentage is up there amongst the best of them in the league. Mm. Um, so I think he's probably a you know a fairly decent keeper. Mm. The, the the thing that I wanted to go back to actually was uh, the set pieces. Now one there's just the the irony that that Rotherham half of their goals are from set pieces. Yeah, you tweeted that before the game. That that is. I mean, we should not uh, let that just slip by. They scored. They have scored as many goals from set pieces as they have from open play this season. And yeah, you tweeted the graphic out. That is a massive outlier in this division, and I would guess probably in the whole of English football, to be honest. Yeah, I think it's um, it's it's kind of they're, they're um, I, I described them. I was making some notes for this, and I was thinking they're kind of a bargain bargain basement Middlesbrough. Hmm. Or a, a bargain basement Pulis ball team. Yeah, um, and, it, it, and I think you've identified that in some of the things you've said and tweeted about that, that, that they're they're all about um, keeping the game short, hmm. winning set pieces of you know throw-ins and free kicks in a particular part of the pitch, you know, up in that final third kind of area. Uh, and taking their chances from those, and, and um, you know, I, I'm guessing that's the way that they, you know, Paul Warren is cutting his cloth to suit the situation he's in, which is a team that is probably realistically third tier, occasionally getting into the second tier, mm. and ne- not really having massive amount of resources behind it, 
and playing a kind of football that can take the best possible chances it can get from that kind of background situation. Mm. But yeah, you were saying uh, the irony of uh, United yeah. actually being more effective at them in this game. Yeah. I've got another point on the corners as well, that, that uh, it was almost like an exhibition in terms of our corners. I mean, you've got the goal. And then, um, I don't know if you noticed the other one. Do you remember a corner taken by Isco for Spain in the World Cup against Iran? And he shoots the, puts the ball in more or less along the touchline, along the byline, sorry, the goal line. And there's a player there, and I think on Saturday, our equivalent, it was. Was it Duffy laying it off? I've been trying Duffy to find was, this. One. Yeah. So, so you, it, I mean, I've, I've, in coaching, I've tried to do it with my boys at under twelve. We call it the Isco corner, and you <laughs> shoot the ball in along the along the goal line. There, there's a player there who pings it out at a kind of a forty-five degree angle, and the players there waiting to take the the shot. Yeah, um, um, that that was that was another one that we did later on. So that was, that was ended in a, it was either blocked or a good save. I can't actually remember yeah. which player it was that had the shot. Was it Fleck? It quite, I think it was Fleck. But yeah. I would take my life on it. But 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 there's there's the the corner that the goal was scored from. Mm-hmm. There's that corner, the Isco corner, and then there was the short corner that resulted in the second goal. So all in all, I thought it was a great game for our corners. You know, for a team that um, I mean, we we would. There was a bunch of stuff about championship corners on Twitter a few weeks ago, and we're fairly low in the rankings in terms of success. Mm. And uh, you wonder if uh, Wilder and Nil and the team have been looking at those in recent times. I've definitely seen more of this, uh, let's say, creative blocking in the last couple of months. Probably, I think the first time I noticed it was the Aston Villa game, Sharp's first goal. Um, in the away game where Medine gets a block from Dowell, I think it was, or his man gets a block, I should say. He heads it back across and uh, and Sharp scores. But yeah, I've, I've seen, I remember seeing it at West Brom. I've seen it in a few home games as well. We, we've been very good. Actually, it probably goes back further, but we have been very good at these free kicks where Egan is suddenly free at the far post and he heads it across and the intention is obviously for somebody to knock it in. I mean, uh, Leon Clark's goal against Derby on Boxing Day is one that springs to mind, but there's been a few others like that as well. So yeah, it's... It's good to see that kind of evolution over the season. I think. Um, just, just, I just want to expand on that second goal though, because yeah, we've got to we've got to pay some like proper lip service to that. Because what a strike that was, and, and just a, you know, I, I don't know if the corner routine was like, right lads, here's what we're going to do: we're going to play it to Fleck. He's going to beat two men with a brilliant bit of skill, and then Duffy's going to flick it up and smash it in the net. I don't know if that's exactly how we drew it up, but it was very uh, aesthetically pleasing. Great bit of skill by Fleck to kind of just. I don't know, just dance away from those two defenders, almost just slid between them, to be honest. And then, yeah, Duffy, that one touch that kind of bobbles it up and then he swings a left foot at it and in the back of the net. Um, Duffy was man of the match. How how do you think he played in this game? I mean, I thought it was a, a great Duffy performance, but okay. um, it's, like I say, you've got to balance that against the fact it was against Rotherham. And, yeah. you know, a, Duff, a Duffy performance like that against Rotherham you know, we would if it was if it was a performance like that by him against uh, you know someone in the top six in you know one of those really much more hard fought games, it'd be of a different kind of currency, wouldn't it? I suppose so. Maybe, well, I know, I know I'm not totally alone here because I've seen a few people say this, but I've also seen a few people uh, say the other way as well. But I actually didn't think Duffy had that good a game. I mean, 
it definitely you know it brings a lot to our team obviously and you know we definitely were able to control the ball much better with him in the team but I don't know I I just thought he, he gave it away a surprising amount of time but then you look at the you look at the sort of the highlights and oh look he's involved in so many good things that we did you know there's that brilliant cross I mentioned for the Stevens chance the goal itself was phenomenal um yeah I think he I think he created four chances as well as his goal so yeah his it was uh just a sort of I guess a reminder of what Duffy brings to the team where even if I'm sat there going mm, not not his best game I don't think but then you you sort of take a step back and it's like scored a goal created four chances what more do you want from a number 10 really against that low block that he mentioned where it is just a defensive wall to be honest I mean yeah, I, I thought probably if I was picking a man of the match, I actually probably would have gone with McGoldrick, even though he had the a couple of missed chances. I mean, there was one I, I didn't actually mention earlier, but when he was in on goal in the first half and should really have done a lot better. I mean, Opta didn't actually rank that one as a as a big chance, but, you know, I, I think it's one he probably should have scored from. But yeah, just uh, that that was kind of classic McGoldrick, for, for better or worse, I thought, that game, you know. Just absolute class on the ball, just dancing away from defenders, dropping into space, which, I, I, yeah, I'd be interested to get your take on this, actually. I I saw some people kind of say, you know, Rotherham down to 10 men, he's got to stay closer to Hogan, McGoldrick. He's got to stay up front with the centre-backs. Personally, I quite like him sort of dropping off into space and, you know, shifting people around, helping us kind of move the ball from side to side. What, what's your kind of take on that? Well, I, I'm afraid I totally agree with you on that. I think it's great that he drops away there I love our vertical movement um you know I love you know there's the whole overlapping centre-back thing and you know you could call that that thing that McGoldrick does where he drops really deep it's another vertical move and I think it works well it's going to disorient the opposition because you know people are brought up to kind of generally you know match up with their opponent in a particular part of the pitch and whenever we do that it flummoxes people Hmm. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you look at Hogan, for example. I mean, I don't think he did anything wrong in this game, but he barely touched the ball, I don't think, either. I mean, it, it covers a lot of miles trying to like get in behind players. Yeah. But, Third yeah. touches. How I've many, got, sorry? Got, I've got 13 touches. I've got the who scored uh, yeah. uh, screen grab in front of me. That but is I'll actually really, really low, isn't it? What's that, like a touch every six or seven minutes? Yeah, seven uh, minutes, yeah. yeah. Uh, Medine got 17 and... <laughs> You know, he was only on from the latter part. Um, tell you who had, well, I mean, Norwood's touch, I think it's touches I've got here, 129 touches of the ball. That's and, crazy. Know, I, I kind of look at this stat uh, and these stats on the, the who scored chalkboard quite often, and that's ridiculous. But, it, you know, it reflects the nature of the game again. Yeah. Uh, Go on, sorry. So, second in terms of touches during that game on Saturday was uh, O'Connell, 94. Wow, that's also a heck of a lot. And uh, yeah, who's still bombing up and down the wing, even in the last minute, creating that chance for uh, Baldock, I think, right at the end as well. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, those stats for Norwood, I mean, uh, you know, I'll caveat this by saying you don't get points for passes, obviously, but you have to acknowledge this. And he wasn't under pressure, to be fair, because, you know, Rotherham just didn't seem interested in laying a glove on us, but uh, 109 out of 118 passes completed is mental I mean for context I think Wednesday completed 166 collectively as an entire team against us on Monday so 
you know, it's a heck of a lot. Uh, 38 out of 42 in the final third, which was the most on the pitch. He also had seven ball recoveries, which was joint most. He had three shots, two of which were on target, and an assist as well for the uh, O'Connell goal, I think it was. So, yeah, the, the man's a master. And, you know, this is the perfect game for his kind of play, I suppose, where he can just absolutely sit and orchestrate and uh, and pull the strings, but also offer a bit of attacking threat as well. So, yeah, I, you could probably make a case for him as man of the match, I thought. Yeah, I probably would have done, in fact. I thought Duffy probably got it because of the, the goal, really. I mean, which was an absolute absolute screamer, and we don't score many from outside the box. So, and um, people like that kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> just before we move on to Rother, I mean, we've got to name-check these clean sheets as well. So it's... Uh, it's six clean sheets in a row at home. It's I believe. Boxing Day since the last league goal was scored. It's absolutely nuts, isn't it? It really is. So that's at Bramall Lane. I mean, yeah, because I'm a season ticket holder as well. I, I have personally not witnessed United concede a goal in 2019, and here we are on the 11th of March. Um, uh, somebody asked, and I, I saw someone on the S2 forum post this as well. Uh, it has been done in not too distant memory. I think it was in 0203 United uh, rattled off six clean sheets in a row in the championship as well. Um, but I think seven. You have to go back to 1970 or something like that. So we're on the on the cusp of something uh, quite special there. But yeah, um, I, I still don't understand how Middlesbrough have conceded like eight goals less than us. It just doesn't make any sense to me at all. But yeah, it's uh, an incredible effort from the team. I mean, we, I've talked on previous pods that, you know, the great effort of the the players that are kind of rotating into the team defensively have done in the last few weeks. But yeah, it just, I'm so pleased because last season uh, we drastically underperformed our expected goals against. I think we conceded something like 12 or 13 goals more than XG suggests that we should have done. Uh, lo and behold, pretty much every other top team conceded more or less what they deserve to. Uh, and yeah, you sort of figure, you know, I, I wrote a piece at the time being like, is there something here that's difficult to measure? Or have we genuinely been unlucky defensively last season? And, you know, will that just regress to me next season? And will we end up conceding less goals, even if we don't make too many changes? As it is, obviously... Um, John Egan's made a massive difference. Stevens' uh, levels have gone through the roof. And I think probably as a team, collectively, we defend much better as well. I mean, that's the thing, isn't it? This isn't this isn't the product of like necessarily brilliant defending by our defenders. It's just the way we approach games, the way we control games. I mean, Henderson goes through some of these games. He just doesn't have to touch the ball at all. And this is one he literally did not have a save to make in the entire game. And uh, yeah, it's it's a great effort. I mean, it could be... In a funny way, as attacking as we are, that could be the the thing that gets us promoted. I mean, you know, if we end up not conceding at Ellen Road, for example, not conceding tomorrow night against Brentford, we're going to be in a hell of a position, I think. But yeah, did, did you see this come in this season? You know, we obviously shipped five goals in the first two games and looked absolutely all at sea in that Middlesbrough away game, if you remember. Is this surprised you? Uh, yeah, pleasantly surprised. <laughs> and I am, you know, you're talking about games coming up and potential clean sheets so my desk's made of wood and I'm touching it um, <laughs> likewise I am I am very pleasantly surprised because last season there was always you just always felt there was a chance of our defense collapsing mm. and um, thank god apart from the villa game it hasn't happened this season um and it's also we've had that rotation of players around which has also been 
you, you just think, crikey, we've got something here. We've got a, a team that you know is really resilient. Now, I think there's a partly there may have always been doubt there this season until recently because we play so high up the pitch. And if you play so high up the pitch, then you know you're further away from your own goal, and there's, you kind of minimise the chances of somebody scoring by. Uh, in that sense but defending from high up the pitch can also be much more difficult you know you're defending in a kind of an emergency situation where people are potentially uh, defenders are potentially out of position unbalanced or whatever but we've done it we've achieved it yeah Uh, let's just hope it can continue it's uh, it's it's so strange, you know. Everyone goes on about our overlapping centre backs and the fact our centre backs get forward and join the attack. And you know, you sort of see a lot of pundits then kind of go, "Well, that's going to leave some space for United, uh, sorry, for United's opposition to kind of exploit." And I've been hearing that for about eighteen months, and I haven't seen it for about eight months now. Like, I mean, it's incredible how attacking we are, and yet we have, by advanced metrics, the best defence in the league. And it is only Middlesbrough, I think. Who I'm just going to double check this. Actually, is, is any uh, have we gone past Bristol City now in terms of fewest goals conceded? Uh, da, 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 da. Come on, league table. Uh, so Bristol City 37, we are 34. So yeah, there's only Middlesbrough eight goals behind us who have conceded less goals. So yeah, it is incredible. But um, all right, I, I want to talk about Rotherham's approach in this game, and uh, we've touched on it a little bit. But I, I was. I don't know. I, I was annoyed to sit through this, to be honest. And I, like I say, you know, I, straight after the game, I, I, I tweeted my annoyance. And yeah, it's, it's never, a, probably not the best time to actually ever tweet, to be honest, after a football game. But at least we won. But yeah, I'd I'd been very, very irritated by Rotherham's approach. And a few people kind of came back. I was like, well, you know, I understand what they're doing. And yeah, I also understand what they're doing, but I didn't enjoy it. <laughs> and I think you could also make a case that maybe it isn't the right way to go. I mean, so the strategy was, as you say, basically basically shorten the game, take as much time out the game as possible, stay in the game at 1-0 down, uh, you know, make sure it doesn't become 2-0 too, too early. And yeah, try and nick one from a set piece or a throw. And And to be fair to them, that has been their strategy all season. However, it's also not been a very successful strategy. They are the the second worst, sorry, the third worst away team in the whole league. They've got seven points all season. They haven't won a championship away game in coming up to a thousand days now. So it's basically almost the whole of the previous season and then all of this season as well. Um, and yeah, I've I've don't think I've ever seen a team time waste at one nil down, or indeed at two nil down, as was still the case where they were kind of kicking the ball away from Henderson when we had a goal kick. And yeah, it was it was maddening. I mean, I just thought, as I say, they didn't have a single shot after going down to 10 men. And, you know, you could say, well, United, that's just the level of quality. Maybe they didn't want to get absolutely hammered. But I just think, try something else. Like, just have a go. Well, I mean, the other one was, you know, somebody made made the point that, um, you know, if they their relegation fate is not going to be determined by games against teams like United... But then if you think that, then, you know, just to take it as a free hit, if you're kind of saying we're going to lose anyway, then have a go and and see what happens. I mean, yeah, I suppose you could say maybe the red card changed things a bit. But, yeah, I, I found it maddening to watch their complete lack of, uh, what's the word, intention, I guess, from about 28 minutes onwards. But, yeah, what did you think? Were you kind of all right with it or baffled by it? Or did you find it as frustrating as I did? Am I a bit of a outlier here? Um, 
Okay, I, I I didn't find it that annoying during the game. Hmm. As I said, I thought there were lots of interesting things that illustrated how they play, how we play. I thought it was a, a, an easy game to kind of analyse in a sense because it was all kind of laid out in front of you. It wasn't all flying all over the pitch with loose, you know, structures becoming loose and things like that. It was a, an easy game to to get a sense of what was going on. If anything, well, no, I'll go on to that point in a moment. I think I think the thing is that Paul Warren's a relatively young manager. He'll have been doing his coaching badges recently. And if you're doing your, your FA coaching badges, one of the core things that they'll be getting on, getting into you and that you'll be focusing on is having a philosophy, having a way your team plays, you know, elsewhere we might call it an identity. And as I mentioned earlier, you know, the realistic situation that Rotherham United are in, they're a tier three, potentially nibbling at tier two from time to time, mm. football team. Uh, with limited resources and Paul Warren will have developed his philosophy to play um, uh, in the way they do for that situation for the situation they find themselves in this season against vastly better resource teams with you know potentially at the extremes of things the likes of Dwight Gale and Tammy Abraham on the other side etc so he will have he will have developed that philosophy that will be his well, actually, no. He went to he went to a plan B there. They did have a they did have a plan A, and their plan A was to get in our faces, was to press us, was to try and cut off our supply. And I think I I think they did that for a chunk of the game until their folks sent off. Um, then they went to their plan B or their plan A and a half, which was the 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 low block thing, and um, and so I I think. They did what they do relatively well. Um, the, the thing that possibly is frustrating, and I don't think it's an easy thing to do, is that United were... It frustrates me slightly, if that's the right word, that, that we can't deal with low blocks that effectively, like when it happened against uh, Wednesday. Um, mm. I think there have been other instances too. If you're a team that relies on pressing high, and your opponents decide to sit right in and uh, um, create loads of traffic for you to go through, it's very, very difficult, I think. It's probably one of the hardest problems for any football team to deal with. Um, and so so how do you deal with that? And I kind of argued earlier in the season, just when we were having a little dip before Christmas, that we needed a plan B. <laughs> and my plan B would be some... The way it seems to be, if somebody's sitting right in deep, so there's not much space between their lines and the goal. Mm -hmm. It's hard to get around the back. So you've got to kind of pull them out to make space to get in behind. You can't get in behind if there isn't an in behind to get into. Mm. So if it was anything was frustrating, it was just the fact that we had to hammer away with our usual tech tactics against a team that knew very well what we were trying to do and did the most effective possible thing against that. You know, but yeah. eventually, you know, it told and we got through. So, yeah, I guess so. Won't they? No, well, no, I suppose not. But at the same time, you know, as I said, we had those four big chances. So, you know, they're they're rated as Opta rates them as chances a team should score from more often than not. 
We didn't score from any of them. On another day, we win this game 6-0. And then you're like, well, well done, Rotherham. You didn't have a single shot from 28 minutes onwards. So, I don't know. I, I, I get the philosophy. I just think... And maybe it would have been completely different if they'd stayed with 11 men, you know. But it's just the contrast between the game at the New York Stadium early in the season and this one could not be more stark. You know, I talked about it uh, on the previous podcast previewing this game. You know, they don't get many good shots, Rotherham, but they get a lot of shots and they score goals through volume of shots. That's how they create chances. And yeah, they, there was just absolutely nothing. I, I thought it was... I thought it was dismal they couldn't have a single shot at all mm. in the last 70 minutes of the game. I guess I guess maybe when they're just at, you know, 1-0, 2-0, they're thinking they can still, on some of the occasional breaks they have up the pitch, that they can, you know, or go out for a long throw or go out for a mm. free kick, you know, two-thirds of the way up the pitch and they can try and snatch a chance back. That must be what they're thinking in that situation. Down yeah. to 10 men, two banks of four. Yeah. I, I didn't see the game at the New York Stadium, unfortunately. I'd like to have done because um, one of the interesting stats going into this game was was uh, PPDA passes per <laughs> defensive action, which measures how many passes the opposition get for every one of your defensive actions. So at the moment, for example, Leeds, you know, the press masters extraordinaire of the division have got a low count on that is something like six point something yeah. so you know their opponents only get six passes in before Leeds break it up on average basically all. measures how much pressure a team applies yeah. when defending right and and we're at about 10 point something and so are Rotherham mm. so um that shows you that you know they they might might not be able to do much with it when they get it, but they can make a nuisance of themselves. Yes, and that as poss- I imagine that's possibly what they did at the New York Stadium. Yeah, no, definitely. We that that game we were we didn't play well at all, uh, and a large part of that was because we had zero time on the ball. There was a lot of uh, poor individual performances in that game as well. But yeah, f- very pleased to say that was not repeated in this one. I mean. I never thought we would lose this game beforehand. I mean, Rotherham's away record is shocking. I thought it, we could draw it just because they also draw a lot of away games. So it was a it was a mini banana skin. I mean, uh, I talked on the last podcast how we really need six points from these next two games. I mean, Brentford is going to be a much much harder game. With I mean, it, it couldn't really be any less. It couldn't really be any easier than uh, than Rotherham could be. It was, to be honest. But yeah, I, I do think we need six points out of this one. But I did come into it thinking not really a banana skin. But a few people kind of said that it would be. But yeah, fortunately, it was a, a, just a very comfortable routine win, I suppose. Um, but yeah, that's the kind of uh, final thoughts on, on Rotherham then. I mean, just to run through a, a couple of fan reviews that tweeted this one as well. Um, so the SUFC project says the fans and team didn't need to get out of first gear. No hatred towards Rotherham, so it didn't really feel like a derby. Nice to play at half throttle, save some legs for Tuesday, which is a, a very good point as well. Um, Harvey Bell said three points against a potential banana skin game. Uh, we never got out of second gear, however, got the win without breaking the sweat. Aswad Kadir says comfortable after Volks was sent off. Started well, but seemed to give Rotherham the initiative after we scored. Too many high balls, need to keep it on the ground. That's kind of what you were saying. Um, yeah, Mark Wilson said game that United just wanted to get out of the way. Pick up the points and no injuries or daft bookings, which is a, a cracking shout, actually, because, uh, yeah, two games in a row without a yellow card, which uh, Dave McKay asked me to um, asked me to find out when the last time that happened was. And uh, 
I'm sorry, Dave, but I uh, I have work to do, so we're going to have to look at someone else for that one. But I think it was probably a while ago. Um, it's pretty unusual, really. We get through two derbies and didn't get a single yellow card. I mean, obviously, Norwood is still sat, sat there waiting for this suspension to kick in. But I think, um, I think actually, if he gets through the Brentford game, I believe the yellow card's reset on 37 games. Is that, do you know if that's right? I don't, but that would be awesome. Uh, okay, I'm, I'm going to check that and I will delete this if that's not correct but I have talked about it a couple of weeks ago and I'm pretty sure that was what it was so if you're hearing this on the podcast then assume that it is correct um uh, so yeah uh, a couple of other people Kieran Gray said a routine win Rotherham didn't create anything 11 or 10 men to be honest you should be a little embarrassed by their inability to even attempt attacks in the second half so that's, that's kind of what I thought as well and uh Selly Oakblade says from the golden golden to the red card we were sloppy and uninterested like we thought we had the game won already once we were down to 10 we turned the screw and we're in total control helped by a lack of ambition from Rotherham second goal settled down the nerves the biggest danger was injury um that's probably a good point just to finish on that one actually did you get a good look at what happened to Jack O'Connell quite late on where he no completely the other side of the pitch I mean the only thing I saw was the reaction of players around him which made cool could be yeah, nice. I, I haven't seen a replay of it I, on the cop. It's, it's almost behind the pillar um, from where I sit, so I didn't get a good look. And I, I assumed it was just like a clash of heads, but I've seen some people think it, saying that they were like, oh, God, has he broken his leg or something like that? But it seems like he's all right. He obviously finished the game. He was still powering into their penalty area in the last few seconds as well. So touch wood, no injuries there, and uh, it'll be good to go on um, on tomorrow night against Brentford. Um all right, so that wraps up Rotherham then. Uh, it was, you know, pretty routine win, I think. Still some interesting things to pull out of it for sure. Um, so, yeah, I just wanted to get some kind of general uh, general questions to fire at yourself, to be honest. So, yeah, obviously you're, uh, you, you've are you re- fairly recently started the, the Twitter account, S2 Stats. You tweet out some fascinating, very well-explained, very clear visuals that dive into um, a lot of advanced stats around United and championship football in general so if anybody is not following at S2 stats already then I strongly recommend they go and do so um so I mean maybe that's a good point to start actually like how how, well, how did you kind of get into uh stats and I suppose some of the statistical analysis what was your kind of uh motivator or starting point for doing so with football um well thanks for bigging it up anyway Ben that's uh, <laughs> that's uh uh, uh, fantastic um, so how did I get into it as I might have mentioned once or twice so far during the podcast I've been coaching grassroots for a few years now um, maybe five or six years and I've uh, done a couple of the FA coaching badges as well and they start chucking stats around in that actually that's oh, the really? thing you'll start to hear it not very much I mean there's one stat that really stuck with me for ages and it was something that Dick Bate, who's a, who was uh, unfortunately passed away last year, uh, was a big name in coaching in the England in the FA setup. Um, was I mean we all know this, you know we, it's obvious to us now. But something like seventy percent of all goals are scored from uh, that area in you know that kind of delineated by the edges of the six yard box out to the edges of the penalty area you know most goals come from there and you know at once you've got any idea about xg you kind of know that now but early on when earlier on when i was coaching you know that was something that stuck with me 
Um, so it's a, just to drill into that a little bit. So what kind of age group are we talking here then? That's me. Uh, for the where where that kind of That's information that. is becoming widely known. Uh this was that was in level FA level one, so that's people coaching anything from under sevens upwards, oh, okay. the youngest age group is. So you're not teaching children about XG just yet, then. No. But, the, but the principle <laughs> is there. Presumably. Yeah, absolutely. This is, as you say, seventy percent of goals yeah. come from this area. That's fascinating. Mm-hmm. Anyway, sorry, Karen, you're saying about um, how that where developed. else does it come from? I guess. Um, I, I, I'm. I guess um, not necessarily trusting what I see and also not necessarily trusting what others see and react to while watching football. I mean, we've all, you know, um, we've all come across the people in the stands who like to moan about ridiculous things. And we've, you know, there's also the phenomenon of, um, of the way people cheer corners and things like that. And, yeah. and how they, you know, how corners, for example, don't actually result in goals very often. Uh, did you hear the cheer from the Rotherham fans when they got one on Saturday? It was massive. <laughs> yeah, I did. The I know. cheers I've ever heard. Itself, you know, Bramall <laughs> Lane from an away end. It was amazing. Um, um, so, I get, I, there's, you know, going to football, not necessarily trusting what I see with my eyes, wanting to see whether what people say about players is true or not. And it's, just generally having a background interest in things like that. Um, I suppose there's also going back to the coaching, there's how we play and stuff like that, and you know how how teams play, what their what their identity is, what their philosophy is, and a lot of these things you can kind of get more of a handle on by understanding. I don't know, say you know what teams play more in the final third, what teams sit back, you know who favours the left, the right, blah blah blah, mm. that kind of thing. Um, and then I, I guess that was all just bubbling along. And, and sometime last year, I, I kind of got into the XG thing. And at the time, there was the Strata bet data that Jay used to use. And um, I uh, began to use and built a horribly labyrinthine Excel schema around for, for, for uh, uh, generating an XG model. And then it got that one that uh, that particular source of numbers got taken away from us. But you know, I carried on. And in some ways, I mean, I don't. I guess I don't have a reliable um, kind of uh, instant access to a, a, an XG figure that I use all the time. Now. But it's kind of forced. You know, it forces you to go elsewhere and look at other things in stats that are available. But you know, just chat forces you to get creative. Anyway, yeah. that's so. It, it, like I say, started off with Excel and then taught myself R, which is kind of the one of the main statistical analysis uh, tools out there at the moment. Nice. Yeah, I, I, that was a, a small ambition for me was uh, to use that strata bit data and like learn R or something equivalent of that as well. And yeah. <laughs> either don't have the brains or the time so i absolutely salute your ability to do that and to turn out uh as i said very like clear digestible visuals which you do a great job of explaining as well i mean i've you know i've been uh you know referencing them on the pod and just making use of them for well months now to be honest ever since i kind of saw you pop up there so um yeah i mean the, the next thing i wanted to ask was like uh you know you mentioned it there that kind of idea of uh you know, seeing if what you what your the eye test, your first impressions, whether it was ac- actually accurate and stuff. I, I was wondering what like what are the first things you kind of look at from a stat point of view when you come to analyze a game. Is there is there like a few particular categories that you look into, or is it you 
Uh, it's just you have something in your mind from the game that you just want to drill into specifically. How do you kind of approach that? I think if I've seen the game, there will be something I'll want to look at. Like there was the thing with the Rotherham game in which, you know, um, unlike yourself, I was kind of um, I was getting a bit twitchy in, you know, from about 10 minutes to 28 minutes. I was thinking, you know, this lot are closing us down a bit. This lot are imposing themselves on us too Honestly, much. I'm, I'm, so ch- that. I'm so chill as a United fan at the moment. I don't know. It's just the wilder effect, I think. I just go into these games like, meh, we can probably win this. And, you know, very few times I felt like, oh, this is this is going to be a, a tough game. But, yeah, sorry, carry yeah. on. Well, that, that's if I've seen a game, I'll go and look at, I'll, you know, try and find something that tells me, you know, whether what I've seen is true or not. Um, if I didn't see the game... Um, apart from the obvious one of the score, you know, if it's something, if it's a, 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 you know, a Friday night game that I'm, or a Tuesday night game or somebody else's game and I just haven't got much access to it, I'm on the move. Um, you just, I just tend to look at BBC and look, you know, their website and look at um, possession, which obviously doesn't tell you everything all the time. Sometimes teams don't want the ball or don't have the ball and still do well. Um, but shots, I suppose, is another one. I think I read somewhere, I've got, or I've got the figure in my head from somewhere that if you're going to win a game, you need to have more shots on target than the opponent. And, you know, this is like the most crude XG model ever, I suppose. Yeah. You've got to have more shots on target than your opponent. <clears throat> and that generally, if you, if you, if you haven't scored, if you haven't had five or six shots on target, then you probably, or if you have had five or six shots on target and your opponents haven't had that, you stand a chance of winning. Mm. I think is it uh, is it TSR total shot ratio? I think that's. I think Opta had that stat for a while. It might have been pre-expected goals, but yeah, it was essentially what is the ratio of shots that you've had versus shots you've conceded, and yeah, a, a crude measurement, I suppose. But yeah, nice. Um, all right, so let's talk a little bit about you, uh, you as a United fan then and uh, some of your feelings on the season. And uh, You mentioned this just before we started talking. I, I wonder if you'd uh, care to repeat it because it's, it's quite a novel twist, I think. But um, yeah, I, I was going to ask you what your, your first United match was and uh, anything in particular that you wanted to kind of recall from it. As mentioned before, I've got a, a secret there in that, uh, unless anybody's been able to tell so far, I've not got a Sheffield accent. I'm from Birmingham originally. And for the first uh, X amount of decades of my life, I was a Birmingham <laughs> City fan. And so the first time I will have ever seen Sheffield United would have been as opponents. Um and I can't actually remember which the first time was. I know that generally I always felt that we would we <laughs> but, <laughs> would beat Sheffield United at St Andrews, and uh, I can remember, definitely remember a game or two in the Championship in the late nineties. But I'm, I, I can't even say for certain that that was the first time. I'm older than I look, and I actually first went to a football match in 1975. Very nice. And I may have seen the Tony Curry team that year, but I'm not sure. Fair enough. And then, uh, yeah, you moved to Sheffield and obviously you started going uh, going with your lad. You, you picked the correct side in Sheffield. Yeah. So, yeah, about 10 years ago, I moved to Sheffield and uh, we've got a little boy who's 12 now, Louis, who's a budding footballer himself, trains with um, another team in Sheffield, unfortunately. But uh, there you have it. At least he's kind of getting some treatment from a professional outfit um 
And we're 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 just a mile from Bramall Lane, and I wanted him to watch football regularly. So we've been season ticket holders since the Adkins season, having gone to a few matches before that. And we went back after the Adkins season. Yeah, you started on a basically the lowest point you could yeah. have done in the last twenty years or so, and uh, you you liked it enough to become an actual United fan. That's that's true dedication, yeah. I think. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, obviously, it got yeah. a lot better from there. Yeah, no, it's been it's it's uh, it's fantastic. Obviously, no. it's very difficult when Birmingham comes to town, but in the last two seasons, it's been a draw both times. That's true. Yeah. Do you uh, do you have family who support Birmingham? Then I don't actually. We were never a football family. I ended up first going to football with uh, mates and their dads when I was about ten. So uh, it kind of all. And then I used to go with my mates when you know I was thirteen, fourteen. So it all kind of came along that way. But uh, uh, yeah, I've got. I've obviously got connections there. Mm, nice. Well, talking about rivalries, I suppose. Uh, I just wanted to get your your quick thoughts on last week's derby match with Wednesday. So yeah, we were you disappointed or happy with the point or somewhere in between? You know, you obviously wrote a uh, uh, as I mentioned a, a piece for your own website, uh, which is I believe s two stats dot home dot blog. Is that right? It's something like that. If you put s two stats in Google, you'll find it. Yeah, uh, and that was picked up and published in the Sheffield Star. And you, yeah, yeah you wrote a a brilliant piece. I mean, I'm not saying this to you know. This is, this is my genuine feelings. I don't know if you're into American sport at all, but it really reminded me of Bill Barnwell, who is an ESPN writer who writes very long, uh, statistically full pieces, essentially. They're also very readable, very well explained. You know, there's a lot of data there, but it's it's done in a sort of, it has a very lighthearted tone to it. You know, you, you learn stuff while you're reading it, but you don't feel like you need to kind of, I don't know. You don't feel like you need a sort of degree in statistics to understand what he's on about. And that was very much what I thought with that. It pulled together, um, well, literally 100 years worth of information uh, and condensed it into a uh, some really good talking points, I thought. But um, yeah, what what was your kind of thoughts on the derby itself then after after that big build up and, uh, you know, looking at whether form does go out of the window in these games or not? Uh, well, thanks again for the kind comments on the blog, um, and I will check out Bill Barnwell. Sounds really interesting. Um, I play football with a few lads a couple of times a week, and there's a few Wednesday fans amongst them. And I said to them, "I think we'll have too much for you." Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I kind of acknowledging that we were in good form, they were in good form. You know, going by my schema in the form book out of the window article. We were on level form, but we played completely different <clears throat> teams at completely different ends of the table. Yeah. So technically, we should have had it, and I thought we were going to be too strong for them. So once again, like Rotherham, like a slightly more expensive Rotherham, Wednesday managed to do a job on us, I think. So I was slightly disappointed. I didn't think we managed to impose ourselves on the game. No, not all. I mean, what, what about, uh, were you kind of okay with the point, or... Just it was yeah. a missed opportunity, more annoying, I suppose. Yeah, okay with the point. Um, sounding like you archetypal manager talk, it's the, it's the performance, you know. We kind of didn't, we should, oh, for, for three derby games now, I've been waiting for us to absolutely spank them again, mm. and it's not happening. Yeah, I'm with you. That That was frustrating for me in all three of these games, I guess, is that. I wouldn't necessarily say on the on the day we should have beaten them, as in like we were so much better 
than than we should have won because I don't think that was totally the case in this one. But it felt like I know that we're a lot better than we've played in a couple of those three games that you mentioned. I mean, I think probably at Bramall Lane we should have won that one, like just mm-hmm. on the on the basis of that game we were so much better than them. Obviously, missed the penalty as well, but yeah. So yeah, I, I, I'm with you. I was I was disappointed in that level of performance, but. Yeah, also kind of happy with the uh, happy not to lose as it always is, I suppose. Um, talking more generally about United, uh, if you can think back to the start of the season, what what was your expectations for us going into this year? I think pretty much the same as a lot of people, and I think I think I've heard you and Jay say similarly that you you know maybe a little bit better than last season. We would have been happy to have nudged the playoffs, got into the playoffs, so. You know, it's been it's been absolutely fantastic, really, hasn't it? Yeah. No, I, I didn't think we'd be anywhere near this level, to be honest. I mean, I, I thought we'll improve, but you have to factor in that other teams will also improve. And I just thought there'd be... I genuinely thought there'd be seven or eight teams who would be better than us, I guess. And as it is sitting here, I, I'm not sure there's more than one team better than us. And you could probably make a case that they're not even that much better than us anyway because we have taken four points off them which I don't think anyone else has done this season but yeah that leads me into the big question I suppose uh will we make the top two what do you think I don't know I mean I think it somebody's got to slip up haven't they and we just hope to god it's not us and yeah I... is the the you know two weeks ago even the Leeds fans were giving up on them on themselves, on their own team, and we were all talking about the Bielsa burnout, um, but that's all disappeared quite quickly. It's, it's so funny that I, I, I really felt, and I don't know if this is just in my own head, but I really felt the narrative had shifted in the space of Leeds beating West Brom and United not beating Wednesday. I felt like I felt like I was like, oh, that's it, and it Leeds are just going to win every single game for the rest of the season now, and Norwich probably will as well, and yeah, I, I don't know, I, I just. It's a lazy cliche, but teams are going to drop points for the rest of the season. Might even happen tomorrow night, for all we know. Uh, I, mean, I don't think uh, I don't think Leeds are going to drop points to Reading, but um, but then we don't think they're going to lose to uh, QPR either. So you just never know. Um, yeah, personally, I I don't know. I listened to not the top twenties podcast this morning, and they were still saying, you know, they think that United will finish in the top two, um, and that Leeds will not. I don't know. I really, I really don't know. I, I guess it does come. So much of it is going to come down to that game on Saturday against them. And this is not in a uh, disrespect to Brentford way. It's just that 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 is a six pointer. I mean, you know, we could we could go into that game. We could we could end the game above them. We could actually be say eight points behind them at the end of that game if we end up losing tomorrow night. Uh, you know, hopefully not, and then losing to them as well. And and that's too much to be honest. There's no way we recover eight points. So yeah, I, I still it still feels a long shot because I think we'd need, I think to make the top two, we will have to get something from Ellen Road. Uh, they're very good at home. They're very good all around. To be fair, um, so yeah, that seems like a bit of a long shot just on that basis, I suppose. But yeah, I'm kind of with you there. Um, just a, a, a couple of questions just to uh, to finish off. Then, uh, if you could borrow one player from another Championship club for the rest of the season. Who would it be? So we're putting aside any financial restrictions here. Who uh, who would you like to just just uh, pick up as a ringer for the rest of the season? Um, I don't know if I can pick one player. Um, I, I, the, the, also, the difficulty is that we're so good at the moment. Where would you slot anybody in? And I think the, yeah. 
I think it might be on the bench. It, say again. It might just be on the bench. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, we're, we're we're overflowing with forwards. Although I'd have Dwight Gale. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd probably go pinch one of um, Norwich's midfielders, mm. like uh, Buendia or Hernandez. And then there's always the classic tactic, which everybody seems to do, which is go and just nick people off Brentford. Yeah, I know. Well, yeah, Ben Rama is ben uh, Rama, the, the yeah. new hottest name that we yeah. get to see uh, see in person tomorrow. <laughs> um, so, can you imagine Jack Grealish playing for Sheffield United? Let's <laughs> <laughs> uh, hmm. <laughs> <Best> move on. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, all right, well, one final question for you then. Um, so, if you could drop any player from United's past into this team, who would it be? And uh, assuming they're at their peak and not like 60 years old, uh, it needs to be a player you've seen play for us in person. So, I mean, uh, we can simplify this by saying, uh, you know, players since you've uh, since you've started going as a United fan rather than... Uh, well, I guess you can go back to your, your Birmingham sporting days if, if you prefer. Um, yeah, what do you think? Well, yeah. Um, I could the, the joke answer is Jay McKeevely or Dean Hammond. <laughs> It's not a funny joke. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, it's too seriously, bad. Seriously, or semi-seriously, um, I would pick somebody from uh, Birmingham who then came to Sheffield United, and that was Paul Devlin, who was a real hero of mine at Birmingham for a while. Yeah, same, um, same with me when he came here. <clears throat> but it, he still seems like he's from a different era, really. Mm. I, I kind of um, I kind of looked him up on Wikipedia yesterday. I didn't realise how old he was. I don't know if there's some perception one has about how old footballers are in relation to yourself, but he was, I just didn't realise how old he was. So how, how old was he? I'm just looking him up now. Forties. Yeah, forty-six years old. But yeah, I mean, I I mean, he's signed. I believe he signed either just before Warnock became manager or or just after. Um, and yeah, he was one of my favorite players because that team was pretty bad at that point. Uh, and yeah, I guess he was sort of the archetypal winger, I suppose, wasn't he? I, I remember him. I don't know if he was like a brilliant crosser of the ball, but I always felt as soon as he got it and was like heading to the byline, a chance yeah. is coming here. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, 1998, he, he signed for us from Birmingham. Um, yeah, he played more games for us than anyone else, actually. Just uh, looking at his Wikipedia, which surprised yeah. me. Bit of a slightly. hero at the time. He was uh, he was a Brummie, and uh, he you know, did did affect and change a lot of games for us. Also, kind of one of the funniest moments ever, Birmingham were playing Charlton. Charlton always seemed to be a bit of a bogey team for us, and... In one of those games, Paul Devlin got angry, carried the ball from one end of the pitch to another like an angry schoolboy and scored a goal. It was just one of those moments you rarely see outside of junior football, but he did it. <laughs> yeah, he was uh, he, he was a, a very exciting player. Maybe we could... Um... Maybe Wilder could have converted him into a right wing back and then he'd have just slotted, slotted him perfectly into this team. Um, all right, Anthony, that is all I have got for you. So, yeah, I just want to say, you know, thanks very much for giving up your time to, to come on, discuss Rotherham, talk about United generally. And, um, yeah, people can check you out on Twitter at S2Stats, which I recommend them doing. And, uh, yeah, can find your blog at much the same uh, location as well, I believe. So, um yeah, thanks very much for coming on, man. And uh, yeah, I, I hope uh, hope we get another three points tomorrow. And uh, yeah, go into that Leeds game in uh, in, in pole position. I think. Yeah, but, um, do it. Yeah, any a quick prediction for tomorrow night's game against Brentford? Oh, I, I hate that kind of prediction. Um, 
I think we'll win. That'll do. I'll take that they, one. They might score. They might bust our uh, our clean sheet record. I suppose it's going to end at some point. I'm worried yeah. about how good some of their players are. I sort of am, but then I also see where they are in the league table relative mm-hmm. to us. Yeah. And uh, they've only won two away games all season, and one of them was against Rotherham a few weeks ago. And as I as I hope I've expressed quite well on this podcast, I have quite a low opinion of Rotherham's ability. So uh, they won't yeah. do a Rotherham. They won't. They won't. They certainly won't play like that. Which will probably possibly offer us more space and more opportunity to get at them. It should be a much more entertaining game, I think. But then I spent pretty much an entire week saying that about the Sheffield Derby and look what happened there. But yeah, f- fingers crossed it's more entertaining and uh, but I, w- I will settle for a, another dull 2-0 win, I think, and uh, get into that Leeds game with maximum points. And Maybe Reading can do us a favour as well. You never know. Come on, Reading. I believe in you. <laughs> thanks for having me on, Ben. It's been a pleasure. Thanks very much. Awesome. All right. Thanks very much. I'll speak to you later.